Are you looking for a new Irish author to add to your reading list? I have the perfect suggestion. Go grab a cup of tea and then sit back and enjoy my chat with Felicity Hayes McCoy. for tuning in to the Traveling in Ireland podcast. We're back with an interview. I know the last two podcasts were more informational, but today I am so thrilled to be talking with someone that in the past I've only actually had conversations through Twitter and Facebook. But uh, Felicity Hayes McCoy has agreed to join me from her home on an Irish hillside in the Dingle Peninsula to discuss her new uh, novel, I guess it's new to America, but not so new if you live in Ireland and the UK, but her novel, The Library at the Edge of the World, has just come out here in the US, and uh, it's getting a lot of acclaim. So Felicity, thank you so much for talking with me oh, today. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you, and it's extraordinary and always lovely to hear a voice uh, that one has only seen on the screen, actually in real life, it's lovely. It is, it is. And and we've actually kind of talked back and forth for a couple of years. Um, just, I mean, it kind of started because of, you know, your love of the Dingle area and, and the fact that I, you know, I was visiting, I think, and, and happened to see something and we kind of struck up a little conversation. But I think that's right, yeah. Well, I think my memory is that I had just begun to kind of get to grips with social media, mm -hmm. which I came to fairly late. I came to it when I was writing my first memoir, The House on an Irish Hillside. And I was there kind of going, what do you do? And who do you reach out to? And putting up hashtags to try and see what came back. And there were you. And I remember, Jordi, you were terribly friendly and lovely. And you were one of the people that made me feel, gosh, there's a whole world out there that I can get in touch with online. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and it's, it's just kind of funny to think of the people that you meet, you know, virtually and to, oh, yeah. to see the changes. But, you know, like you said, you were writing The House on an Irish Hillside, which um, was very well received. I know that uh, to get it in the U.S., I think you have to order it through Amazon. And it may actually yes, right. even ship out of uh, out of Ireland or the UK to get it here to the US. But it's a book that is well worth reading. But oh well, thank you. <laughs> and lots of US readers use the Book Depository as well, which mm -hmm. um, you know is an online site that will uh, deliver worldwide for free. So it's 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 very reliable. I understand from my readers because they they come back and tell me so. And it is extraordinary. I have a a huge readership for that book in the states, and I think it's. A lot to do with the fact that the book has to do with my own journey. I was born in Dublin. I went to live in London in, in, in the UK and always wanted to come back to um, the end of the Dingle Peninsula. And after 30 years, uh, did so. And so <laughs> that's what the book is about. It's about that journey back to a place that I first knew when I was a student. And I think that a lot of... Um, U.S. readers knew the place itself, you know, or New mm -hmm. Ireland, but I just understood that longing to go back. Well, and I think in the U.S. you may have that feeling. I know that, you know, I'm born and raised in the Midwest, um, but I did leave, and then I, you know, ended up coming back to raise my family. So I think that maybe in the U.S. people kind of have that tug 
for yeah. you know this the same the same um, desires of of the slower you know more I don't want to say more fulfilling but but almost I don't know the deeper connection or something. I think that what I found was that because I had spent a lot of my adult life living in 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 inner city London which is a great place to be. And indeed, London in, in the UK really consists of a, a series of villages that have been right. knocking themselves together since the Romans came. But um, what I didn't have, other than the community of, I worked in the theatre, I worked in television and radio. So that, that does produce a com community mm -hmm. uh, of a sort, uh, the community of, of colleagues. But I didn't live in a neighbourhood. And coming back to the end of the Dingle Peninsula, this is a Gaeltacht area, which is an area which, in which uh, Irish is the first language. So mm -hmm. the Irish language, which in America sometimes is called Gaelic, mm -hmm. um, not just in America, people use Gaelic a lot for <laughs> the Irish language, but in Ireland we say yes. Irish. Um, that language um, is spoken particularly sort of from Dingle Town back into the west to the end of the Dingle Peninsula, which is way down in the southwest of Ireland, and it's one of those peninsulas that stick out into the Atlantic end, and everybody says, next parish is America. Uh, that, that sense of community that, that is born of living on the edge of the world, living at the end of a peninsula, and living in an area where culturally um, there is a huge sense of passing on of knowledge and culture and music and song, through the Irish language, it focused me, I think, in a way, and it focused my sense of of what finding roots is mm. all about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's such a beautiful way to put it. And like I said, the book, if if people haven't read it, um, you know, do get your hands on it because it's such a wonderfully told story. Well, thank you. <laughs> but that's actually not the book we're we're talking about today. We want to um, kind of turn a little bit and talk about the library at the edge of the world because this is your first book to be published in the United States which is really quite a big I mean that's kind of a big step right oh it's huge it's it's absolutely wonderful it's published by um Harper Perennial and they have produced the most beautiful US edition it's it is the gorgeous. original book, the, the <laughs> book that I originally wrote that has been out over here in, 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 the, in the UK and Ireland for a few years. Um, working with my editor, Hannah Robinson, um, at Harper Perennial on it was absolutely wonderful because she had the lightest of touches. It's a very strongly Irish book in the mm -hmm. sense that it's, um, it's about a, a, a makey uppy county. I invented an Irish county. Uh, which is a great part of the joy of writing this series. The Library at the Edge of the World is the first in, in a series, and they're, they're called the Finfarren series because I invented County Finfarren, which is somewhere between, I don't know, Limerick, Clare, Cork, and Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's somewhere on the West Coast, on the, on the Wild Atlantic Way. And I, I invented the, the county because it, it, it was that joy of creating um, a fictional place mm -hmm. Uh, with a fictional community living in it, which reflected my own actual knowledge of contemporary rural Irish life. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to create this this place, which I actually began, uh, I began the process by sitting down and, and drawing a map, 
I drew a map of the county, <laughs> and I drew a map of, of all the towns in it, and I, g- I gave it all the things you'd want. You know, I gave, right. it, I gave it a forest in the middle, and I gave it a small town and a county town. And my protagonist, whose name is Hannah Casey, is a librarian. She's a woman who w- grew up in Lisbeg, the little town where she's now the librarian, left it, as many, many Irish people do, and my own experience was, was the same. You know, you grow up, you, you go to college, or you finish school, and you go somewhere else. And, and Hannah did actually what I did. She, 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 go, she went to London. Unlike me, she married a very, very rich barrister, a very successful man, had a long marriage, uh, and they had a daughter, and it all seemed to be perfect. This all pre-da- predates the actual start <laughs> of the story in the book. Um, so that would be flashback when you're reading in the book. Mm-hmm. And she discovers, which is where we come in at the beginning of the yes. book, that the whole thing was a sham, that her husband was having an affair with someone else all the time, and that this the whole life that she believed that she was leading, the person she believed him to be and she believed herself to be, was essentially based on nothing real. It was all false. And so at the beginning of the book, she's taken her daughter, rushed back in a state without thinking it through, <laughs> to Ireland, to Lisbeg, where she came from, and has been spent, has spent the last several years, her daughter was, I think, I, she was 14 when the thing happens, and when the Library at the Edge of the World begins, the daughter has now left school and gone off to work, and Hannah herself is living in the back bedroom of her mother's retirement bungalow, which is where she's ended up, poor woman. And the book is about how having, having felt a failure, having felt that everything was unreal and wrong, having desperately tried to help her terribly upset daughter who had to cope with her parents' marriage breaking up, she now has to look at her own life and ask herself, what's the future? Mm-hmm. And her problem is that she's in a community where she thinks everyone is just gossiping behind her back and thinking that she's a failure. Mm-hmm. So she has to find a way through that. And th- what happens is, and I won't give away the story, <laughs> is eventually it's the very community that she's tried to keep at arm's length for fear of their judging her that come together to solve um, a threat to Hannah's library. She's taken this job as a librarian, a local librarian, which also she feels is a terrible come down because she yes. wanted to be a very exciting art librarian in some huge institution <laughs> in, in Europe when she first left home. And here she is actually in a hall, which is where the library is housed, which was her school hall when she was a kid. So she really feels she's back at the start again. Anyway, the community comes together to save the library with her. And in that process, Hannah re-engages with the community and rediscovers what it is to be an independent woman. There you go. Yes, and, and that, you know, that sums it up. But there's so much depth. As I was reading, just the um, interplay between people. I mean, you have some very quirky characters in here that that just seem to to you know you you can you can picture them as you know the the you know those quirky little characters that you're going to find maybe in a pub and then all of a sudden they disappear. But they have the best stories, or um, you know the. You have a very grand castle there that, you know, has its, its own kind of eccentric owner and, you know, just, just the little interplay of the other people involved just brings a, a beautiful think, depth. Well, thank you very much. I think that what I was trying to do, it's what I do with all my books, and, and people have said it about the house on Irish Hillside, 
it's almost a process of weaving mm-hmm. when you're when you create um, in a work of fiction when you create a community there are archetypes in the community because we all know them and I think that's one of the reasons why it's crossed the Atlantic so well you know it's a very strongly Irish book and and when I was talking to my editor I was saying for America do we need to soften the idiom or you know ensure that it, everybody isn't talking in what is essentially a, a strong accent mm-hmm. and her answer was no she she said that the rhythm of the writing was was mm-hmm. part of what she was what she had loved when she had originally read the book but also that the that the the archetypes are universal you know there's there's the difficult mother that you have yep. had to go back and spend time with and and Hannah's mother is getting older and getting quite um demanding uh Hannah's dad has died and her mom has been left as a widow and she's a she's a fairly angry widow because she's a woman <laughs> who was deeply indulged by her husband whom she adored and now there's nobody there to love her in that way anymore so she's taking it out on mm-hmm, the world mm-hmm. and then of course there's Fury O'Shea the builder Hannah um Hannah eventually gets out of her mother's bungalow because there's a tiny little cottage um on a cliff top practically falling down which had been left to her when she was a child in fact was left to her by a great aunt by her dad's aunt and it really is hardly more than a shack, but it's the only place that is her own. And during the course of the book, she and this very eccentric builder, um, whom she employs, but who essentially seems to take over her life, uh, do it up. And that process, you know, everybody knows that, that feeling of making your house your own, and everybody has dealt with difficult builders. I don't think there must be a country in the world where people haven't dealt right. with difficult builders. So that that translated, as it were, effortlessly. Uh, Fury O'Shea has his own way of talking, and and we hardly touched it. Mm-hmm. I think the Americanization that happened on the book was largely spelling. Yes. Uh, you know, the, and, and and strange things. I mean, not strange things, but things that hadn't struck me, like cell phones and mobile phones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just occasional things like that. To to be clear, there's also at the end of the um, the Harper Perennial. Uh, edition there is a, a ps section yes. which is not something that happens so much uh, i love that section though i mean i oh, i God. knew i knew so much I, you know i felt like i knew quite a bit about you but as i was reading it i mean i i guess that i didn't realize that you know the writing you did for tv was so extensive i mean i just i was reading this going my goodness <laughs> there's a lot there well i guess you know i came to prose i came to print uh, publishing quite late in life uh with a memoir you know so i, mm-hmm. I had something to say i had been around long enough to be writing a memoir. <laughs> um the house of the narrow hillside was the first and the second memoir uh that i did was in fact a as it was an illustrated um mm-hmm. sequel to the house yes. of the narrow hillside a book called enough is plenty the year on the dingle peninsula um and then there was another one called a woven silence which was about mapping my the women in my family um, their lives, I, I, I did a certain amount of looking at, at both sides of my family, and then I mapped their lives onto mm-hmm. the, the life of the Irish state. So, you know, what it was like to, to have gone through, um, as my grandmother's cousin did, being a woman who had fought in 1916. Right. Um, and, you know, lived then long enough for me to have known her when she, um, when I was at university, she was still alive. So, uh, th- there was a certain amount of, of, of work that I did which was, if, 
if one was thinking of it in terms of television, it was documentary. You know, it was it was it was non-fiction uh, books. And then it was my agent who said, "Well, your background in uh, in television and radio was it was in drama, was it was in fiction, effectively." I uh, wrote for things like Ballycus Angel, that mm-hmm. series that um, that the BBC did. And my agent said, you, "What do you feel about writing um, a book series? And if you did, who would you want to have as a protagonist?" And I immediately said, "A librarian." You know, that it just if, if you're writing a books at my age and you're a book lover <laughs> as I am, writing books about bookworms is great fun. <laughs> and it's it really is such a fun book. And you know if if anyone who reads it has been to Ireland, I mean, you can very easily picture, you know, the, how the location looks. And, you know, you can picture these characters in your head. You've seen them in the villages and the towns. But I think what I loved most is as the book, you know, as the book got closer to the end, you could really feel an excitement. Um, you know, at the beginning when, when Hannah's kind of just going through the motions, I mean, you're like, oh, goodness, she's just so sad. <laughs> but yeah. then as as it built at the end, you know, you could feel a passion and an excitement. And, gosh, I when's the, when's the next U.S. book come out? <laughs> because uh, I know it's already it's, written. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the second one. I, in fact, I was only talking to my editor the other day that, that you know, she, she was – the way it works in publishing houses, you know, the editor will present the book to mm-hmm. the team, the marketing people, and you know the people who will be involved in this production and so forth. And that happened a couple of weeks, about three or four weeks ago. Excellent. So that one is is you know a, on its way and will be out sometime next year, I think. And then the third one as well. I'm just writing the fourth one in the series. Um, and the the excitement of the of being able to write a series, I think, is that you. You can really, you can really take your time to draw people into the characters. I mean, each of the books obviously stands alone. So mm-hmm. if you were to buy um, one without bothering to buy the others, or if you were to buy the second one before you read the first, that wouldn't be any problem at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the nature of writing for a, a series. You have to be sure that you're not forcing people to start at the beginning and go on until they come to the end. Um, but having said that you are able to draw readers back with the promise of more depth or seeing a character from another angle or something. Um, Mary Casey, for example, Hannah's terrible mother, uh, is is a very aggressive character and a very funny character, I hope, mm-hmm. in, in book one. But in book two, you get more of an understanding about why she's like that and mm-hmm. who she is. And there's a character in book one who's Mary's <laughs> Mary's best friend, Pat, uh, who's a sort of meek, sad little woman in book one. Who decides, <laughs> not sad, but a very quiet little woman. Mm-hmm. The sort of person who who's best friends with a loud, noisy woman. Right. Um, and they knew each other from, from when they were school together. In book two, you learn a huge amount about that relationship between Pat and Mary. And Pat, a figure who um, really wasn't big mm-hmm. um is drawn forward a little um and by the time you get to book three <laughs> it's almost pat's story and that's the pleasure of doing it i mean in book two book two circles very strongly around maggie the aunt who left the house to oh. hannah 
So in book one, you know that Maggie left the house to her, and you know that Maggie was uh, quite a recluse. Mm -hmm. In book two, you find out why. So uh, although uh, you each one stands on its own, there is a sense that when you come back, you get a richer and richer experience of the place, of Finfarren. And that's a great joy. I mean, if you're used to writing for television, if you've done television series, that's the kind of thing you get very used to. You know, in, mm-hmm. I don't know, there, there'll be a, 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 a number of episodes where one particular character will be drawn to the foreground mm-hmm. and others will go away. And sometimes it's just to do with the availability of actors when <laughs> you're writing for television. None of those constraints, of course, when you're writing mm-hmm. a book, you can, no budget constraints. You can have fantastically beautiful, exciting castles, which you can build. With, as in the case of the castle in Finfarren, with an amazing book room full of wonderful and exciting um, books, including one particularly amazing and exciting one, which an incredible um, treasure. Features towards, yeah, it features at the end of the book and uh, at the end of my book. And that thing of Hannah being a, a prickly character to begin with, I was a bit concerned that people would say, you know, the readers would say to themselves, well, you know, why am I writing a book about somebody who isn't very agreeable? But I was terribly pleased the New York Journal of Books um, did a, there was a review in there where I could see that the, the reviewer absolutely got the point that when I was writing Hannah from her point of view, mm-hmm. she was a, a bone-tired, unhappy, insecure woman who couldn't find herself. When I was writing her from the point of view of the people whom she worked with, she seemed to be a terribly bossy, organized woman, yes. a very aggressive woman. And, and part of what I think I was trying to say is... Um, if you look a little deeper into your colleagues, people you don't like, people who behave badly, sometimes it's because they're sad, right. and you can help them not to be. Well, and, and you know, I think what I got, um, or what I felt from, from Hannah was that she was so hard on herself for not, you know, reaching these dreams that she had, and she really came back feeling like a failure, and so she yes. didn't want to, she was almost afraid to let people get close to her, because she didn't want their pity. And so almost like her back was up, you know, to to protect herself from feeling, you know, feeling like a failure. And that... I think that's yeah. it. I'm so sorry, go on. It, it just, and then just cut, watching her come into, you know, her own power and her own, you know, she she found something to be passionate about. And I think that 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 just gave her, I don't know, it just it, it brought her back to life. Well, I'm really pleased to hear you use that word because I remember when I was talking first to my editor and she said, if you used one word to describe this book and you were only allowed one, what would you use? And I said, empowering. Mm-hmm. I think it's a book, you know, it's a book that has a middle-aged protagonist. It's a, it's a book about a woman who uh, is in her early 50s and, and feels that she's had her life and she's made a mess of it. And I think what it tells, the story it tells, is the story of rediscovering oneself and feeling re-empowered, not by crouching down and trying to protect (laughs) oneself by kicking, which is essentially what poor Hannah does at the beginning, but by reaching out, by by accepting help. I, I think women find it quite hard to accept help. Oh, and that's, yeah, that's... a whole conversation for a you know with with a psychologist involved because you're completely right and and it's I don't think it's only that they don't like to accept help I think they're in in a way women are very worried about um I don't know there's there's a lot of competition between women 
and it's yep. just you know it's just something that you know it is and again something that <laughs> you know a whole nother conversation but but completely completely there i mean you can you can see it yeah. you can see the competition um and I, and I think as well, there, there are issues between women and their mothers um, that every woman <laughs> will recognize. Yes. And, and one of the things I wanted to do very much in, in, in the Library at the Edge of the World was to, to create a, 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 a mother and daughter who had real, real problems, particularly mm -hmm. because they were living on top of each other. Mm -hmm. But an awful lot of Mary Casey, Hannah's mom's anger, comes from a sense of really feeling terrible for her daughter, mm -hmm. feeling Hannah went away and married someone in another country, and maybe, maybe I should have been there to make sure that she didn't marry the wrong man. Or the other thing, of course, is that Malcolm, her husband, seemed to be a lovely guy. And mm -hmm. and I go into Malcolm in other books as well. I mean, he's not a wholly bad character. <laughs> I don't think anyone is wholly bad. But I think that Mary Casey felt like a lot of mothers do. Oh my goodness, my chick went away and went to another place where I wasn't keeping an eye on her and made a mistake and maybe mm -hmm. it was my fault. Yep. And Mary would never, ever articulate the possibility that it could have been her fault. <laughs> but I think as the book goes on, the reader will see that Mary is um, essentially, when the, when, the, when the chips are down, she's about family mm -hmm. and she will protect her daughter, Hannah, with all the... Uh, the determination that Hannah brings to try and to protect her own daughter, Jazz. One of the great problems in the in the relationship between Malcolm and, and Hannah when the when they broke up was that Malcolm is a rather well, he's a barrister, he's very charming, he's very manipulative, he thinks on his feet, mm -hmm. he's fairly ruthless. And before Hannah had an opportunity to talk through the reason for the breakup with her daughter, Malcolm got in and assured the daughter that there was no problem. They had just yeah. You know, mommy and daddy had got to the stage that they were moving on. He didn't admit that he had had a mistress all the time. And Hannah's thrown into this impossible position. Does she tell her daughter that the, that the adored father mm -hmm. is a liar? You know, what can she do? And so what she does is she keeps, she, she, she goes along with Malcolm's story. And as, as Mary Casey says to her at one stage, you know, one point, that child's going to discover that both her parents are liars. Right. What are we going to do about that? And that is, that is one of H Hannah's dilemmas. It, she finds herself constantly in positions where she <laughs> tries to do the right thing and doesn't quite know what the right thing is. And I think that's something that an awful lot of people can understand exactly. and relate to. And, and, you know, as we keep going, there's so much depth to this book. And... I mean, it's just, it's such a wonderful read. It's a perfect read for the upcoming holidays when you have, you know, you just need some downtime to sit and relax with, you know, you've got a cup of tea, you have a few, you know, a few cookies. This is cookie season. You know, this is the perfect book for that. And the fact that there are at least three more coming, if not more. Do you know how many books you plan to write in this series? Oh, goodness. I know I don't. <laughs> Until the story is told. Until the story is yeah. told. So there are, yeah. you know, books obviously coming. So a wonderful, wonderful book to sit down with. And it's, I mean, it really is such a joy to read. Oh, well, thank you. And the one thing that I, I loved about it was because I was able to invent this, this place on the west coast of Ireland, I was also able to describe the real west coast of Ireland, which is all around mm -hmm. me. And the one of the, the, the joys that I found in writing the book was being able to share with readers the, the beauty of the countryside, the, the glory of the Atlantic, the ex 
extraordinary pleasure of the way uh, light plays here on the west coast of Ireland and the changes in the seasons. And there's a garden in, in, in at the centre of the book, um, mm-hmm. which in in a sense is is the central metaphor mm-hmm. for what, what's happening in the community. And I have great pleasure in writing about flowers and seasons. <laughs> And, you know, you did, you brought in just the beauty of Western Ireland, the, you know, the the ruggedness and, you know, what some people might see as, you know, inhospitable areas, but also the warmth and the the community and, I mean, just the, I mean, the good, the bad, the everything comes together. But the West of Ireland is such an amazing and beautiful place. Um so oh, I'm going yeah. to take this, you know, this little opportunity to kind of turn a little bit and discuss another book that you've written. Now, you and your husband, Wilf, came together, um, kind of partnered on a book that I think is really, if people plan to visit uh, Dingle and the area, is probably one of the best books that they can get their hands on, and that's called Dingle and Its Hinterlands. People, Places, and Heritage, um, which is just, I mean, it's phenomenal for getting off of that, you know, Dingletown, Schleyhead Drive. Just an, an amazing, amazingly informative book. I mean, but it's not just like a travel guide. It's more. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, it was a lovely early commission. It was a commission of the Collins Press, which is uh, an, an independent um, non-fiction publisher here in Ireland, very, very well respected. And they came to us and, and asked if we would be interested in doing the book. And I have lived at the end of the Dingle Peninsula. I've spent time at the end of the Dingle Peninsula for 40 years, and I've had a house here for nearly 20 but I'm still a blow-in, as they say locally. <laughs> I'm still someone. <laughs> I, I don't belong here, really. And I was very touched by being asked to do this book, but I felt very strongly that mine shouldn't be the voice describing um, or explaining or, or leading people through the, the the pleasure of being back here, back west of Dingle, as it's called locally. That's the last eight miles or so of the peninsula to the west beyond Dingle Town. And for me to talk about it, if I were going to be writing about it, I would be writing very much as a newcomer. And it seemed to me that what was important, and I was delighted that the Collins Press absolutely endorsed this and embraced this idea from the very beginning, was that if this was a book about the people and the places and heritage here, it was the voices of local people that should be heard. Mm-hmm. So what we decided to do, as you say, the Schleyhead Drive is, is very well known, and it's because it's the loop drive that drives right around the end of the peninsula, starts in Dingletown, goes right around the end, comes back to Dingletown mm-hmm. again. So we we did a 13-chapter book, and it begins in Dingletown, goes around the Schleyhead Drive uh, with a stop um, in along the way for each for each chapter, and we prevailed upon our neighbours, and they were extraordinarily generous of their time to sit down with us, um, 13 separate people sat down uh, who lived in different places around the Schleyhead Drive and who had different um, backgrounds, and we asked them to talk. And I sat down then with two hours' worth of material on tape Mm -hmm. and transcribed what they had to say about their own places, what they had to say about the history 
about the things that they did. I mean, we have a fisherman, we have a shopkeeper, we have a school teacher, we have somebody who's a chef in a restaurant, we have a man who's a producer in uh, the local Irish language radio station, but was also a huge sports star and still is, um, he still trains um, the Glasgow team, um, uh, the young people who are coming up uh, along the line. And all different people. We have a Shamno sing singer, which is traditional Irish language singing, which is sung unaccompanied. And each of those people, that I simply said, tell me what you would want people to know about what you do or the place you come from or what the place means to you or what you see for the future. I don't know what the theme of this chapter is going to be. I know where <laughs> I know I'm going to be telling people here's a map, these are the sorts of places you can go in this area, mm -hmm. but I don't know what it's going to be about. You tell me what it's about. And to a man and woman, they did. And that, I think, is why it's, it's an important book and why I'm quite happy to say it's important and it's special and uh, people should read it because, in a way, it's not my book at all and it's not Wilf's book. Wilf took all the photographs and they're stunning. Mm -hmm. But it's not our book. Uh, it belongs to the people. And I'm so, so grateful to them and I'm grateful to them for liking it as well. We had a, we had a launch back here and... No one told me it didn't work, so that's what it does. And, you know, I think that the Dingle Peninsula is one of those places, um, and I know I've been guilty of it as well. You, you know, you go to Dingle Town, you take the boat ride out to see Fungi, which, you know, as, as touristy as it is, is great fun. But, yeah. you know, and then you drive Schley Head, which has, I have to say, you know, the first time I was in Dingle was 2002. Um, there has been a lot of change along Schleyhead Drive. Um, yes. You know, the, there's now the, the famine and the beehive huts, which, you know, were not, um, you know, they were just something that once upon a time you walked up to if you knew they were there. You know, now they're signposted and, and kind of set up as a, a tourist attraction. Um, and and that's that's really changed out there a lot as tourists have you know kind of migrated from the Ring of Kerry over to Dingle, but there's still a lot yeah. that people don't get off of that main drive and discover. Yeah, I I, I think that is really really an important point, Jody, because um, it, it's like anywhere I imagine that one goes on one's holidays. You can you can have a certain amount of time available, and therefore what you do is you mm -hmm. try and cram in the best bits. But how do you know what the best bits are? Usually they're what you're told by the tourist department or by somebody who's trying to sell you a holiday package. And with, with the area back west of Dingle, I'm always saddened and shocked by the numbers of tourists who come here and literally do not know that it is a, the repository of native culture, which is expressed in the Irish language and in the music that's available back here, and they don't even know there is an Irish language. They don't even know that they're coming into an area which has an extraordinary archaeological heritage, for example. Okay. I think that's because of Satnav and the <laughs> fact that you have cars with electronic windows. <laughs> I just think that the problem is people don't step out of the car, sit down, and ask questions. Right. Well, they don't take the time. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that actually I said in the first chapter, I think, of, of, of the book, 
was I said that the streets of Dingle Town even tell people how life is lived here. Mm-hmm. They're narrow. The pavements are narrow. You have to meet people's eyes. You have to say, excuse me, and step out of the way. Right. You have to accept the fact that people slow down in cars to talk to each other. Right. Now, that's in the town. Yes. When, when you go back west, if you can't work out where it is you want to go, draw up beside any local person and run your window down mm-hmm. and ask, and you'll get told, stop in the villages. Go into the pubs, go in and have a cup of coffee, go into a local shop and just talk. And I think that that's something that a lot of my contributors were saying. They were saying that there are so many beautiful bed and breakfasts. There are so many lovely little guest houses you can stay in back west. Mm -hmm. And it is possible to find them. It's possible to find them just by driving around. It's possible to find them by asking people or going into the tourist office in Dingletown. Or you can find things online. But there's no point in imagining that you're going to understand the place if you just stay one night. Right. You need to stay two nights or three nights. You need to realize that it's not impossible, that you're actually staying in a house where tomorrow there'll be a fantastic music session in the kitchen. Right. You know, and you need to know, you find that out by talking to people and by being there long enough to allow yourself that little bit more. I get people who come online to me who've read their husband and I have side and who might have come back here and, you know, incorporated this area in their holiday to Ireland because mm-hmm. they had read my book. The numbers of them who contact me from the States and say, if only we had known, we would have made time to spend three or four mm-hmm. or five days back west of Dingle, and we wouldn't have madly tried to rush up to Belfast within 24 hours. Oh, gosh, yes. And I, I think that's it's one thing that I know I, I speak with, you know, people all the time, you know, people that I I do my vacation coaching with or that just send me emails and say, you know, I have this itinerary, what do you think? And invariably, the first thing out of my mouth is slow down. Yeah. Don't try to see it all. I've seen you say that online. Don't try to see it all. Um, And, you know, spend time and get to know the place that you're in. Yes. Yeah. And I think that it, I can completely understand it, and particularly if people are crossing the ocean to mm-hmm. get here. You know, I mean, it costs money to get here. It might be a once-in-a-lifetime right. trip. But the, the real truth is that you should do the opposite of what you think you want to do. Mm-hmm. You think you want to scoop everything up. Go deeper and slower, and you have exactly. a far more um, enriching and nourishing experience. And, and you actually learn the rhythm of life back here, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is one of the things I think the area has to give to the world. You know, there's a there's a sense of um, you know there's no point in coming here and running around with the same level of intensity that has provided the stress that has made you feel you want to go on holiday. <laughs> exactly that, <laughs> exactly that. So, you know, with that in mind. Um, you know, I do tell people a minimum of two days in Dingle. I know a lot of people, you know, fit it in as a day trip out of Killarney, which if that's if that's what you can do, I, I highly recommend it. But I think two days back, back in Dingle is a, a bare minimum. Um, what do you think are maybe two or three places in the Dingle Peninsula that are just incredibly magical that people don't know about. Driving is the best way to discover everything Ireland has to offer, and I'm thrilled to partner with Irish Car Rentals for our fall travel this year. To get your own unbeatable quote on car rental in Ireland, visit irishcarrentals.com 
and use code IFV, that's IFV for Ireland Family Vacations, when you check out. Thanks so much for listening, and here come those recommendations. Well, one thing that I, I, I would always say to people who are coming back here is if you're going to go back west of Dingle and spend time beyond Dingle time, mm-hmm. Town, there are any number of beautiful places. But if you go towards the northern side of the end of the peninsula, you find the wildest scenery under Mount Brandon. There are beautiful bed and breakfasts to stay in. You can stay in farms. Um, you certainly aren't going to get a great shopping experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there won't be, you know, this is for people who enjoy walking, for people who um, like making their own discoveries. You can hire bicycles. There's a firm in Dingle now that hires electric bikes, Mm -hmm. so you can actually not have to do all the pedaling up the hill to yourself. But I would say go go back west and and maybe go north. Uh, My favorite beach back west would be Dale Bon, which is... um, if you go to Ballyferreter Village, uh, it's the nearest uh, beach to that. And Ventry Strand is another one, which is down below Ventry mm, Village. Ventry is a beautiful, beautiful beach. Absolutely gorgeous. And one of the things that I did with, when we were speaking to the people whom we uh, interviewed for the book was I said to each of them, if somebody came in and stayed with you, in many cases that nobody could come and stay with them because <laughs> they don't, they don't, <laughs> it's not a hospitality business, but if they did, where would you tell them to go? What walk would you suggest mm-hmm. they take? And in the book, there are suggestions for walks that are off the beaten track. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, of course, there are a lot of beautiful places. You can, you can, you know, before you get into Dingle Town, if you go over to the other side of the Dingle Peninsula, you can go to Clahan, which is an absolutely stunning village down near Brandon Point. Mm -hmm. Go, go round there, and it's a a beautiful area. But my heart is in the Gresels. My heart is going to always be back west of Dingle. And (laughs) you know, I've spent 40 years um, not finding enough time to find everything that is to be found here. So a few days mm-hmm. is probably a good idea. <laughs> I completely understand that sentiment. I have people say, you know, you're always in Ireland, you know, and I'm like, I just haven't seen it all yet. Yeah. Because yeah. it, you know, it does take a long time. If you really, if you really want to know a place, you can't do it yeah. in a week. Another, another thing that I would say is, if you're going to come to Dingle, and if you're going to go back west, then be aware of the language. Be aware of the Irish language. One great thing you can do, is, if you've got radio in your car, is tune in to Radio Nagelthachta, mm-hmm. which is um, the local Irish language station. Now, you'll hear a lot of a language you don't understand, but you'll hear lots and lots of music as well. And that there is a music in the rhythm of the language that, mm-hmm. in a sense, will give you a way into understanding the place. Um, there is... There's an awful lot to be said for just trying to use one or two words of the language when you mm-hmm. come here. You know, sometimes you'll see on on, uh, on the counters of shops, there's, there's a little sign saying, which mm-hmm. means, I have a few words, and it means, I have a few words of Irish. If before you come here, or even when you do come here and you talk to people, you find out how to say hello and goodbye and thank you, it... it, it it tunes you in on a level that is different and makes you appreciate you're in a place where a different language is spoken. Everybody speaks English, you understand. I mean, it's a second language. You, you needn't be afraid you'll, you'll find people speaking a language you won't understand at you. But it is a good thing. It is, it, if nothing else, it's polite. And I find a lot of my readers come, come back to me on social media after they've been here, and they say they would have loved to have said 
Diahait, which is hello, mm-hmm. or Slán, which is goodbye, or Gormahat, which is thank you. But they felt nervous, and they kind of thought they might make fools of themselves. <laughs> People here truly, truly appreciate it, if you try. And it's lovely. It's a way of starting conversations, and that's the way in. It is. Um, but you, you do want to know as well the, you know, just takupla uh, fakal, just a couple of words, those, those, you know, three little words, because the minute you come out with uh, just a bit of the Irish, um, I had this happen at the, the oratory down there. You know, I, I yeah. just said thank you in Irish. And, you know, and he came back to me with this massive sentence. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't know what you just said. But that's okay, too, you know. I mean, I know that one does feel, oh, my gosh, I've opened the gates and it's all going to be terrible. But, of course, everybody else is in the position. It's good fun. And and that, that, you know, doesn't hurt if you know that one. At least you can demonstrate that you don't have more than a few words. And it's great fun, you know, to to look at place names and and recognize the translations and so forth. I think you could do a whole holiday just based Mm -hmm. on asking yourself what this place, because place names, tend to be oh, yes. quite demonstrative. They explain what's there. Mm-hmm. You know, you might suddenly discover that there's a holy well um, mm-hmm. around the corner or that there used to be a castle in a place. Right. And i tell you one more thing I must say, because it, it really is such a useful resource. If you come to the area, go to Ballyferreter and go to the museum in Ballyferreter. Okay. It's a beautiful little museum. It will take you half an hour to go around it max. It's in the old schoolhouse that used to be the schoolhouse. Our neighbour, Jack, down the road, Lord of Mercy on him, was one of the kids, the last generation, that actually went to school in that building. But the museum is curated by um, a very senior archaeologist whom we're fortunate to have living among us. So it punches way above right. its weight in terms of small local museums. And just going in there at the beginning of your trip and just walking around, because there's a wonderful um, sequential series of, of um, big uh, what am I trying to say? I want to say posters and signs. I don't mean that. I mean, I mean, um, big boards that right. show you the story of the, in on a timeline, the story of the area right through from pre prehistoric to now. Wonderful way of focusing your sense of where you are mm-hmm. and and what it's about. And it's a it's a beautiful place to go to. Lovely local shop across the road, little local grocery store that does great coffee and will sell you a sandwich. And if the Irish language is something people are interested in, just a note um, down in the show notes, I am going to have a link to an article written by my friend Owen, who runs Bite Size Irish Gaelic. Owen wrote um, a wonderful article on the Irish you will see on road signs. So I will link to that in the show notes. And Owen will actually be joining me for a future podcast episode very soon. So if the Irish language is something that is of interest to you, you definitely want to uh, follow the podcast because we'll be talking about it a bit more in 2018. There's yeah. so much. There's so much on Dingle, and and we obviously could go on and on and on about it. Um, so I want to thank you so much for taking the time. This was such a wonderful discussion. Um, I'm so excited about your books. I'm so excited that they're in the U.S. and that, you know, your audience is, is going to broaden with this way because the Irish are, are known for their, you know, their storytelling and you have the gift. It's just, it's a beautiful book. Oh, thank you so much. And if readers of the Library at the Edge of the World in the States have the time and go into their local bookshops or are browsing Barnes & Noble where it's on the, on the um 
it's among the, the new releases, mm -hmm. displays, and they have the opportunity and they've got their, their phone or their camera with them. I would be so grateful if they would take a shot of the book with themselves or a staff member and send it to me online because you have no idea how strange it is that a book is out there and, <laughs> and one can't. A, a, a wonderful U.S. reader came onto me the other day online and said, it must be like sending your kid to college and wondering how it's getting on. Uh -huh. And it does feel like that. It feels the book is out there and I can't see it and I can't <laughs> shake hands with the lovely booksellers all over the States and all over Canada who are actually out there selling my book for me. So, um, readers, please say thank you for me to the booksellers. <laughs> oh, and it's so fun to see. I, and I love how you share them. I love how, you know, both you and the publisher, I mean, you guys are so good about sharing everything that comes in, and it's just, it's wonderful to see. So, congratulations. Well, it does feel, it does feel like a community. It feels like, you know, that, that there's a there's a lovely community of readers out there, and it's, and it's worldwide, and it's hands across the ocean, which is, Something Irish people are very used to. We're very used to the idea that we have friends in America and family in America who watch our backs. Well, Felicity, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. This has been, it's, I mean, it's like, you know, sitting down with a good friend, and it's just been a joy. Well, Jody, thank you. And to, to talk to you after all this time is just delightful, and I'm so, so grateful. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you to everyone who listens to you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Felicity Hayes McCoy. We talked about quite a few places on the Dingle Peninsula, and you're going to find all the links to those locations in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Slangafol.